Well, we are in Titus, and I gave you plenty of time to get there. It is a short book, so if you were trying to use the old flip method, you may have had to go to the table of contents. But Titus is three chapters, two pages in your Bible, and we have worked our way in the first couple months of this series to chapter Three. So uh, if you weren't here, maybe you're new. We have a lot of new faces and we're really, really glad that you're joining us for worship. But I want to just uh, throw this out there. You can catch up via crossroad.live slash sermons. And we have our archives there where you can actually go all the way back and watch this entire series. Uh, spoiler alert though, the very first series, first sermon in this series on Titus was not from the book of Titus, but it's kind of foundational for the rest of it. So if you go and click on that uh, series, you're going to be like, I thought this was Titus, just a heads up there. But several messages in that, and God really used that in a really powerful way to get us thinking about who it is we're supposed to be as the church of Jesus Christ. And we talked about a lot of things that kind of challenged us and made us think differently about who we are and what we do as the people of God. But just to kind of catch you up, the Cliff Notes version of this is that the letter of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul who was a church planter, essentially, a missionary, and he would go to these different regions of the world and plant churches. One of the places he went was the island of Crete, and he had planted a series of churches there, and as was kind of his mission method, he started these churches and then went on somewhere else, but left a young leader there to continue the work, and that young leader was a young pastor by the name of Titus. And in chapter one, he said, hey, Titus, that's what it literally says in the Greek, hey, Titus, just kidding. He said, put what remains in order. So he said, there, there's lots of things for you to do. So, so for us as a church, what we've done, even though we're a couple decades old now, we, we just have kind of said, listen, there is a lot here at Crossroad that remains to be put in order, right? There are things that we need to figure out. Who are we? What does the word of God say that we're to be? So, so here we are as the people of God asking, what is it that needs to be put in order? So we started with this series called Church Under Construction, and we talked about a lot of really heavy topics. We talked about leadership in the church and how we desire in the future to have a plurality of elders who help lead us well as we become who it is the Lord wants us to be. We've talked about what it means to be a godly man and what it means to be a godly woman. Despite what the culture tells us, we said, hey, God has a call for you, men of God. God has a call for you, women of God. And it doesn't matter what the world is telling you. What matters is what the word of God tells us. We talked about how God calls us to conduct ourselves in the marketplace that as we go, as we walk around in this world, as we uh, go and play and work and live, that God calls us to live for him. And then we even started Advent, the last Sunday of November, by talking about this last section of Titus 2 that says, the grace of God has appeared. And it's the grace of God that has come that saves us, that transforms us, and that is doing its incredible work in us. And it's the same grace that we're going to need as we head into this new section of this letter. We need God's grace to help us receive, apply, and live out the truths that we're going to encounter, not only today, but for the next several weeks. So with all that said, let's get to our text together. We're actually going to start in verse 15 of chapter 2. In the book of Titus, this letter, the word of the Lord says this, Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, 
to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Will you pray with me again and let's ask the Lord's help as we study his word. God, in just these short couple of verses, we believe you have some truth that is foundational for us. So Lord, I just ask that you would help us be able to grasp it today. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here to study it with me. And God, I just ask that by your grace, you would speak to us in such a clear way that when we left here today, uh, we would only be able to say that surely the presence of the Lord was in this place. So we thank you for what you're going to do. We give this time to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I wanted to start at verse 15 because that got left out of chapter 2's studies as we moved on into the Advent and Christmas season. And I think it's a really important call as uh, Paul tells this young pastor not to be afraid, but rather to declare these things, to exhort and rebuke with all authority. And then he says, let no one disregard you. I like to think that Paul knew Titus was going to need a pep talk before he heard the charge of chapter 3. Because then very quickly when we get into chapter 3, it gets real serious real fast. Already earlier in this letter, earlier in chapter 2 in fact, a very similar call had been given. But again, before getting to this new section, he says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Do you remember what we said last week? Last week we said that in order to obey the word of God, it was going to require great strength and great courage. And what I want to tell you is that young Pastor Titus, and let me just say, young Pastor Rusty also needs some strength and courage to proclaim the word of God in the time in which we live. And as we said last week, in the time in which we live, it's hard to proclaim the word of God. But I want to say on the other end of that, just like we said last week, also it's hard to proclaim the word of God here in the church. It's very difficult. And today, in fact, we have a pretty confrontational message that the Lord has for us. Yet, as I so often tell you, brothers and sisters, it's by his grace that the Lord confronts us with his truth. Aren't you thankful that he's not done with us? Like, like there's going to come a point where I believe that, that, in fact, there are many churches there today. It's easier just to talk about all of the other things instead of the Lord dealing with us. But, but man, can I just tell you, I want the Lord to deal with us. I want him to make us a people who are prepared for good works. And that's what he's striving to do here in this text. I think it needs strength and courage for us to hear and reply to this, for me to preach this, because today we've got to talk a little bit and for the next few weeks about the controversies surrounding dealing with people. Anybody got some people problems? Right? I quoted, I quoted this poem at prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago. To dwell above with saints we love, twill be such grace and glory. To dwell below with saints we know, now that's a different story. Anybody relate to that? Man, there are struggles when it comes to dealing with people. In fact, even and maybe especially so, dealing with fellow believers. We've talked before about the danger of disunity. And, and I'm excited in a few weeks we're going to have a message about godly friendship. But today we're not really thinking about our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, we're thinking about how we interact with the world around us. 
And for Christ followers in 2022, this is a very important message. We live in an increasingly polarized world that is constantly seeking to put us at odds with one another. It's so easy for us to find ourselves in a position where we buy into the cultural lie of us versus them. Yet what we're going to see in this text is a very clear call instead to put ourselves in position to be able to connect and be ready and available to share Jesus with the people we interact with. And I'll just tell you, even today, you might be tempted to kind of write this message off as a touchy-feely message that calls us to compromise, but I want you to hear me very clearly from the very beginning of this message. It is possible for us to be a people who stand on God's truth and a people who love others well. I know that's possible. Do you know why? Because the Bible commands us to do it. And the Bible wouldn't command us to do this if this was not possible. So with this in mind, I want us to look at this text. And it's interesting to me. Because when you read these verses, it feels to me like one line, one couple of phrases is almost out of place in this text. And the phrases I'm pointing to are here in verse 1 where it says, To be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Like honestly, y'all, if we just lifted that out of this passage, then everything else that it talks about is talking about how we deal with people in the culture around us, right? Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy to people. That flows. That's really smooth. That works. But instead, smashed right in the middle of this thought is a call to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. So here's what this is telling us. In order for us to be obedient and, every, and ready for every good work, in order for you and I to be in position to be used by God, we must think about the way we interact with the people around us. We need to think about the way we interact with the people around us. I'm reminded of Jesus in Matthew 22. The religious leaders are trying to trap him into saying something wrong, something he shouldn't say, and they ask, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus responds by quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy, essentially that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he expands on that by saying the second commandment is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said something that quite honestly, y'all, is mind-blowing. He said, in these two, all the law and the prophets are summed up. So Jesus basically said all of it, and we're talking hundreds of positive and negative commands that we find in the Old Testament. Everything that the Old Testament preaches and proclaims, he said, can be summed up in this way. And if you've been at Crossroad, you know that we say it very simply, love God and love people. All of it boils down to this. This passage and this phrase has often been referred to as the great commandment. And while love God, love people is really simple and succinct, the truth is it's not that simple to actually do, is it? That's really easy to hear, but it's really difficult to actually do. And most of our thinking, reading, preaching, and teaching revolves around that first part, doesn't it? 
like how we love God more. I've, I've talked to you about this really uh, personal relationship with God that our world is focused with. Our relationship with God has become very individualized in this very individualized culture uh, that the Bible is really, that's completely foreign to what the scripture teaches, but it's kind of like me and God over here, right? It's like Josh Turner, me and God. Okay, nobody, all right, so we're tracking. Nobody, Josh Turner, okay, all right, it's fine. It's a good song, actually, but that's what we kind of feel, like it's just me and God out there. But did you know that this faith that God has given you is meant to be lived out in community? That God has actually wired you to follow Jesus with others? It's true. If you didn't know that, I'm telling you now. So we think a lot about how we love God more and what that looks like, but I don't think we talk a whole lot about how it is that we actually love people. And by the way, it's, it's proper and right for us to think about how we love God more, but here's what I need you to understand. If we're not careful, we forget that loving God naturally leads to loving people. So let me just say this really bluntly, and this is going to maybe jar some of you, but you need to hear it. You can't love God without loving people. So some of you think like, man, me and God, we're good, but everybody else, Friends, listen to me. That's a dangerous place to be. These go hand in hand. If you love the Lord, then he's going to naturally cause you to love people. His people, yes, but also all people who are created in his image. So one thing you hear us talk a lot about here is the Great Commission, right? We're all about that. We are a Great Commission church. In the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, right before ascending to heaven, Jesus tells his disciples, the last thing he says before he leaves, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, so bringing them to Christ, but also teaching them all that I have commanded you. So this is the call to go and make disciples disciples. This is our heartbeat. This is what makes our church a church. We are absolutely unashamedly obsessed with discipleship. That's why even on a day like today, we are certainly sad that Pastor Bob is leaving, but we are also joyfully sending him out to do exactly that, to continue the work of making disciples in another church. This is our DNA. This is our heart. But Paul inserts these two phrases here in Titus 3 to make sure we understand this. You can't have the great commission without the great commandment. You can't have the great commission. You can't make disciples without the great commandment, loving God and loving people. So if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to be ready for every good work, as verse 1 of Titus 3 calls us to do, then we need to think about the ways in which we interact with the world around us. So let's get specific. Let's look at what these commands are here in the text. We're just going to walk through these together. First, we see a call to submit to rulers and authorities. Get a drink of water. Yep, this is the kind of truth that will get you fired. In 2021, 2022, or 2027, I don't, I don't think that's going to change. Already, when I read that, some of you are like, Phew. I know pastors who had the audacity to preach Romans 13 
or 1 Peter 2 and passages like that, and they caught grief for preaching the word of God in the last two or three years. And I'm just like, what is the deal, people? So everyone, let me just say this, just with, I'm, I'm rolling up my sleeves. <laughs> Quit it. Don't be that person, okay? Let's just read the word of God and understand what it says. Because this, it, it is a hot button issue. This gets us and this is something that stirs us up. Because here's the reality. Let's just be honest. Scripture consistently calls us to submit and honor those who are in positions of authority. And again, I know we don't like this. Let me just anecdotally, can I share with you something that happened? So March of 2020, do you remember that? Those were good times before, uh, you know, the viddy came and got us all, right? So in March of 2020, uh, the president, President Trump at the time, uh, asked everybody to kind of have like a national day of prayer about the COVID situation. So I came up here and said, hey, uh, our president has asked us to take time to pray today. And there were people who were mad that I had said, quote, our president. Now, there are some of you who are mad that somebody was mad that, he, you know, right? But can I tell you what happened? So some of y'all are like, well, uh, liberals, uh, listen to me. Can I tell you what that made me have flashbacks to? 2014, I'm in rural southeast Texas pastoring a church and had a similar statement on a day where I said that we want to pray for our president and do you know what I heard multiple times from multiple people over the next several days? He's not my president. Some of you probably would have said the same thing. So, so here's what I know. We don't like this. We don't like this thought. We don't have to have to think about what this means to honor and to submit to rulers and authorities. We don't like that the Bible says, hey, you know why they're there? Because I put them there. That's what the Lord says. So, so here's what we need to think about. The Bible clearly calls us to do this, but I want you to also understand that this is not a call to follow rulers and authorities when they go beyond the scope of Scripture. In fact, as often as we see the call to submit to leaders and authorities in God's word, we also see examples of men and women of God standing up and defying rulers and authorities when they ask God's people to directly violate his word. So the call here in the Bible, not only in this text, but in the rest of scripture, is not blind submission, no matter what. But then it gets even weirder for us, because here we are in America. We're part of a democracy. So in a very real sense, the founders of our nation set we the people to be the rulers and authorities. So that complicates things even further, doesn't it? I don't have time to unpack all of this, and you know, some of you are, want me to give a civics lesson. We ain't that church, all right? I can give you a few that are that church, and you may be happier there, all right? But we ain't that church. But I will tell you this, as God's people, we should think about the way we engage in the public dialogue regarding politics and the government. As Christ followers, we certainly ought to engage in the political process. Uh, listen to me, my generation, Younger people, can I tell you what we've done? Because the, the generations prior to us, and sorry, you're, you're, I'm just going to offend some people, have screwed it up so bad and made it so crazy that you know what my generation has done? Full on apathy. Full on apathy. And I'll just tell you this, and you can look around and see young people nodding along with me right now. I don't care. And some of you noticed that in 2020. You weren't a big fan of it, but that's the reality. 
So can I tell you what the Bible says for us? Again, in a democracy, here's what you need to understand. We are the leaders of our country. So to abdicate our leadership is sinful and dangerous. And I do think that in many ways, Christians have done that. So, so apathy, I think, is one sin and danger that we can have when it comes to politics in the government. But on the other side of that, can I tell you what I think some previous generations, if you're not careful, what, what they by and large in the Christian church have done Instead of advocating for the truth of God's word and the truth of scripture, we've allowed various political parties to use us as a tool instead of voting our faith in the truth of God's word. So here's what you need to hear me say. The Bible does not line up with the Democratic or the Republican platforms. I can find stuff in both of them that do not align with the word of God. And here's the other side of that. Lord knows that both platforms are full of promises that neither party intends to keep anyway. So Christ followers, hear me when I say this. Let's be involved and let's be serious. Because in a democracy, this is how we submit to our rulers and authorities. But, and this is a big but, I'm concerned that some of us are so obsessed and concerned with our political system and our culture that we're not ready for every good work. I'll never forget 2020 again for many reasons, but one was the relentless pressure that I had from people to address political issues in the midst of an election year. In the meantime, I knew marriages that were barely hanging on. I knew people who were lonely and depressed. I knew people who were going through the most difficult season they had ever been through. And if we weren't careful, I think the church, it was easy to think about rather than how to lovingly engage people, we were thinking about how we engage people in a way to try to sway an election. Friends, hear me when I say this, be involved. It's your responsibility to be involved, but do not be obsessed. This world is not our home. You can invest your life building a kingdom called America that one day will fade, but the word of God calls you to invest your life building the kingdom of God that will never, ever, 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 ever fail or ever fade away. What are you living for today? Those are not the same kingdoms. Those are not the same kingdoms. Submit to rulers and authorities. Again, if there are any concerns with anything I've just said, bob at crossroad.live. In fact, uh, Bob's cell phone number. (laughs) Time requires that I move on and some of you are thankful for that. So let's continue on in the text. The next phrase says, speak evil of no one. Now, I know that we don't probably need a lot of commentary here, do we? But I'll tell you, this phrase, even just reading it in the Bible, convicts me. What about you? Already in Titus in chapter 2, Paul has warned both men and women of the danger of gossip and slander. To be careful with the words that we speak and the way we speak privately and publicly. Matthew 12, 36 to me is one of the most terrifying verses in scripture because what Jesus says is that we will be held accountable for every idle word spoken. Oh, just let that hit you. Especially if you're wired like me and you're the speak first, think later person. Some of you are like, he read his notes a lot during that last section. You better believe it. 
Talk about getting fired. I wasn't, I wasn't about to. I'm, you know, I prepared and made sure I knew what I was going to say. You get me riled up, it, it can be bad. And we're going to be accountable to that. But here's the thing. Some of you are like, well, you know, dude standing up here behind the pulpit, that's one thing. But even in just your private conversations with your buddies, out getting drinks with the girls, with your spouse, Every idle word spoken, you're going to have to give an account for. Whew. Church, may we be careful about what and how we speak about others. You know what the helpful reminder is? Is that every single person you encounter is somebody who is made in the image of God. Can I tell you something? If you want to talk about one of my kids, it better be how awesome they are. Right? If you if you want to come and if you want to run down my kids, of course I mean they're they're young enough. I mean they're run downable though. All right, trust me, I live with them every day. But if you want to come and, and say something ugly about my kids, can I tell you, Papa Bear is not going to be happy about it. How do you think it makes the Lord feel when we run down people who He has created in His image, that He knit together in their mother's wombs? to hear the way that we speak about them. Listen, some of those people are evil. Some of those people are evil right now, but, but here's, here's the wild thing about our Lord. You don't know what God's doing in their heart. What would happen if we saw people the way Jesus saw people? I think that would change the way that we think, but also change the way we speak of them. Paul goes on in this text to say that we're to avoid quarreling and instead that we're to be gentle. So don't look for a fight, but instead be gentle. This is not a, a, a word for our modern culture, is it? We tend to look for a fight because we want to be right. And pride says, I don't want to be wrong, nor do I want anybody else to think I'm wrong. I want to be right. Gentleness is one of the biggest struggles in our world today. I don't mind telling you it's a big struggle for me. I'm, I'm like the classic bull in the china cabinet kind of thing. I'm rip-roaring and ready to go. But this is the opposite of what we see Jesus is and what he calls us to. This doesn't mean that we become limp and just bow down to the culture. That's not what it means. But it does mean that we engage the world around us with a gentleness that is shockingly countercultural. It's a sad commentary to me that the world today expects Christians to be obnoxious, quarrelsome, and pardon the cultural phrase, but Karen-esque. The world expects that of Christians today, to just be that person. But I am praying that in these days the Lord would make me gentle and he would make us gentle. Because here's the reality, when you truly love people, it changes the way you engage with them, right? When you really love somebody, doesn't that change the way you go about correcting them? Doesn't that change the way you go about dialoguing with them? But it reveals that we struggle to love people. So if you're looking for a fight with somebody who disagrees with you, can I just invite you today, don't look for a fight, rather look for an opportunity. Don't look for a fight, look for an opportunity. 
to love them and speak the truth to them. Finally, Paul says in this text, show perfect courtesy to all people. That word show isn't so much about putting on a show as it is a call to continually demonstrate real courtesy. That word courtesy, if you have an NIV, is translated as considerate. And I love that rendering because this is kind of the same attitude of Philippians 2 that says, have this mind among you, which is the same as Christ, to consider others as more important than ourselves. So what we see here in this text is a call to always think of others, the way that we're making them feel, the way that we're treating them, the way that our lives impact others. Am I the only one who's a little overwhelmed by all of this today? This is two verses. And I feel like, you know, I need like a couple months to try to figure this out. I'm thankful for this call from the word of God today because I think it's so easy for us to just get obsessed with ourselves. In a world where it seems to be all about you, you are the most important thing in the world, the most important person in the world. This is an important reminder that Jesus calls us out of that. Instead, we're to live a God-centered life which naturally leads to an others-centered life. We can't love God without loving people. We can't be on mission. We can't fulfill the great commission without living the great commandment. Before we go, I want to take just a moment to see the why of this passage. And we're going to cut into next week's message just a bit. But would you read verse 3 with me? It says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So the appeal here is so important. Paul is reminding us why we should love others. Why? Because they are where we once were. Like it wasn't that long ago that we were them. The lost world around us can so easily bother us infuriate us and make us mad and and it's so difficult for us but the call of this text is to let our love for God turn into love for people to let it change the way we see the lost world around us to have compassion why is that because verse 1 said when we live that way we will be obedient ready for every good work so I want to make this really, really practical for you. How can you be obedient and ready for every good work? First of all, we need to work on these things that the word of God has given us today. But this is a big truth I want you to remember. People are in process. People are in process. Aren't you thankful that you're not who you were five years ago? Yet you will not have patience for someone who's struggling with the same things you struggled with five years ago. Isn't that weird? Some of you are holier than me and you're better than, than me at this. I'm just talking for myself. And I have very little patience. I was talking with somebody. God has just blessed us as a church with so many young men. We have young men who are in young marriages. We have young men who are single and still looking for that spouse. We have so many young men in our church. And can I just tell you, man, there's lots of opportunities to visit with them and counsel with them and share with them. And I've just, there have been a few times, and you need to know that I don't talk to Mallory about what I talk to things with y'all about. But there have just been times when I've told Mallory this. I've said, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was them. 
Yet I find myself as I listen and as I dialogue sometimes thinking, hey, just fix this, right? And the Lord has to remind me, you were that guy. And when that comes, can I tell you, it just changes the way the dialogue happens. People are in process. Everybody you meet is on a journey. We get upset that people aren't as far along as we are. We're so quick to compare ourselves to others, or compare others to ourselves, and what happens is we become Pharisees before we even know it. But I want you to be reminded, friends, you're still in process yourself. God's not done with you and me yet. Praise God, because we still got a long way to go. The people that we encounter in this world are in process too. So we should strive to love them like Jesus right there where they are. Now hear me when I say this. That doesn't mean we compromise on truth. That doesn't mean that we affirm sin in their lives. But it does mean that we interact with them in ways that obey our Lord and keep us ready for every good work. Because I believe that in God's time, a door will be opened and God will give us the opportunity to share the good news with them. Because if we have loved them well as God has commanded us to love them, then we've been obedient and we're going to be ready for every good work. And I believe God stands ready to do a good work in us and through us. God's given us a call for 2022. I told you last week that my prayer is that we would have 2022 gospel conversations this year. And we're praying and asking the Lord for 100 baptisms. Some of you think that is ridiculous and absurd. Yeah, it is. There's 500 people, though, that call Crossroad home. That's four conversations in 2022. Think that's possible? Some of you say, I don't know how. Well, congratulations. On March the 6th, we're having a Sunday that we're calling Evangelism Sunday. We're going to preach on the importance of evangelism. We're going to come back and drink coffee, and maybe some of you, the spirit will move, and you'll bring some good desserts. Just may it be so, Lord. And we're going to talk about how to evangelize. I'm going to give you a real simple evangelism method. Now, some of you are old school, and you've already got a, a way to evangelize that you've been using for years. Praise God for that. But, but if you're a rookie, we're going to talk about some ways to do that. So that's on March the 6th, I believe, is that Sunday. It's the first Sunday in March. It's Evangelism Sunday. We're going to equip you and get you ready to be able to do that. And I believe that in 2022, we're going to see over 2,000 people hear the gospel in our city. But guess what? Some of those conversations are going to be weird. Why? Because people are in process. Some of you are going to have a hard time having those conversations. Why? Because you're in process. Yet by God's grace, I believe that he stands ready to do incredible things in and through our church family in the coming year. But it starts with us being a people who live the great commandment, who love God and love people, so that we can be a people who fulfill the great commission to make disciples who make disciples. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth you've given us today. Lord, this has been a challenging word. Lord, and I want to be reminded of verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2. How is it possible? How can we respect authorities that we vehemently disagree with? How can we speak well of people who 
we don't like. How can we speak well of people who are not speaking well of us sometimes? How can we be gentle when we've been raised in a culture that prepares us to fight all the time? Lord, the reason this is even possible is by your grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. By your grace, help us be a great commandment and a great commission people.